Let's begin with prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you again for your presence with us, Lord. Thank you for drawing us into your presence. Thank you that we are beneficiaries of your grace, Lord. And thank you that we have this time together that we can look into your word, Lord. I pray that you would open our understanding, that you would give me the words to speak, Lord. That your Holy Spirit would guide and direct whatever is said this morning, that you would be glorified and that your name would be proclaimed, Lord. We give you thanks and praise and commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, recently I heard a, a news report about politicians and fundraising. And this is not about politics, but fundraising and they have these dinners and they charge thousands of dollars for a plate. So, and it's, it's not just one, it's, they all do it in some way or the other. Of course, depending, some charge a lot more than others. But the question is, why are people willing to pay so much for, the dinner plate is probably not more than $50 for sure. But they pay thousands of dollars just for that. So why do you think that is? They're supporting the politician. I'm sure there's many different answers, but I'm looking for one answer. <laughs> Influence, good, yeah. Something they believe in, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read Romans chapter 5. This is one and two, and then you see if you can pick out a, something in there that answers the question that I just asked. So Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith, and into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Access. But he said influence as something similar. But that's what they're looking for is access. Now there, there may be other people looking for other things, but in general these, these are usually business people. People that are upper echelons of society, you might say. They're looking for ways they can influence policies in the government, some at the state level, some at the federal level, but they're looking for access, especially if it's a presidential candidate, they're looking, if this guy becomes president, then this 2,500 bucks that I paid for this meal might get me somewhere when I need some policy changes. So they're looking for access. And they're willing to pay a high price for that access. So here we have, in Romans chapter 5, it says we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We have access to grace. We have access to the throne of grace. And sometimes we can just read over this lightly and 
not think twice about it. But this this concept of access is a I mean it should be a major thing in the life of a Christian. It should be something always in the back of our minds that we have access. Now we talked this morning about the presence you know, God's presence is here, the presence of Jesus is here with us. But access is even more than presence. Because access means you have a relationship with the one who is present. And I think of, remember the story of Abraham. He's sitting at his, outside his tent door and three men come by. And Abraham recognizes something about these men and so he quickly brings out a feast and he entertains these these men. Now these same men, two of the men go into Sodom and Gomorrah. They went into Sodom. They went to meet with Lot. Now, in both places, there was the presence. The presence of divinity was in both places. But in one place, Abraham had complete access. Not only was Abraham entertaining them, but he had access because right after that, he presents to the Lord and says, what if there were only 50 righteous? Would you, would you be willing to spare that city? And he went down, kept going down. But he had access. He could communicate. He could ask, make requests. Not, access is not just making a request, but the assurance that the request will be heard. And your request or petition will be granted. And Abraham was granted. He kept lowering the bar. And God said, yes, go ahead. I mean, I'll... I'll I'll do it for 45, I'll do it for 40, and so on. But the, the, the two men that went into Sodom, outside Lot's house, Lot had access to them, but the people in Sodom did not have access, even though they had the presence. I mean, it was mainly because of the heart of the people. The heart of the people did not welcome them in. I mean, they welcomed them in for other reasons. They wanted to do other things with them. But the people of Sodom did not have access. And the presence was, for them, a negative consequence because they did not have access. They did not have good favor. They got punishment instead. But we have access. Access is the privilege that we have to, to make our request. Not just to make our request, but to just have the favor of the person. So in this case, we have access to grace. That means grace is always available to us. So,
Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Okay, just to give you a background before this is talking about the Old Testament and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. So in verse 6 it says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself, and for the errors of the people. So it's talking about the, the priest, the common priest, could go into the first tabernacle, but into the second tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the high priest went only once, once a year. So the access to the throne of grace, what was inside the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. What was on top of the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. The mercy seat represented the throne of God. The God, the place where God would show mercy on the people of Israel. And the, the high priest could go there only once a year. He had access to that throne of mercy, to that mercy seat only once a year. And he had access I mean, in order to get that access, he had to do a ritual. He had, it says, not without blood. He had to take the blood. If you read Leviticus chapter 16, basically that day was the day of atonement, when the priest could go, the high priest could go in. And in Leviticus chapter 16, it tells you the ritual that they had to follow on the day of atonement. They had to have two goats and one with a scapegoat and so on. But in order to gain that access, the high priest had to perform their ritual, and he had other priests helping him with that. So that access was not easily gained. It was only once a year, and it was it it had a lot of steps that you had to follow to get access. Only one person in the whole land could get access, and that was the high priest. But the high priest could do it on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. But that was nice that the nation of Israel had access, but through this one person. But through Jesus Christ, we all have access. Through the blood that was offered once and for all. So in Hebrews 9, it compares the two covenants. Now we don't have to have we don't have to go through that ritual. It's not just once a year. We can do it all the time. And we have access all the time. Uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Now, before we go and just go then, access also involves relationship, as I said before. So these 
these business people that are entertain I mean that are paying all this money to the politician, they're expecting a relationship to be developed by paying that money. So they're paying for that relationship and that relationship gives them access. We have a relationship with Christ. We have a relationship with the Father. In the Old Testament, they didn't have that relationship directly. Although God was a father to them, God even said, I'm a husband to you as a nation. God was establishing a relationship with them. God had a covenant with them, a covenant relationship with them. But the people of Israel didn't reciprocate. They didn't think of that relationship. Of course, when they there were a remnant of them that had that relationship and they would cry out to the Lord. And from time to time, the Lord would say, I heard your cry. I heard the uh, cry of oppression that you're going through and I've sent someone to deliver you. So because of his relationship, God was still, the Israelites had partial access. They had access, but it was more or less a one-sided access. God was almost always acting on his own unilaterally on the basis of some few people that were a remnant, that were faithful and cried out to him. But in Hebrews chapter 3, as we go there, it's talking in verse 17, it's talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. In verse 17 it says, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So before this in Hebrews chapter 3 talks about the provocation in the wilderness and how they provoked the Lord with their complaining and their and especially the fact that they did not pay heed to the two spies that brought a good report and and for that God says you're gonna you're gonna go here another thirty eight years in this wilderness. But the reason he says that he was grieved with them was because they had sinned against him and because of unbelief. And he uses the phrase, they could not enter into the rest. So to me, entering into the rest is similar to getting gaining access. When you have access then you have rest because you have access. When you have access to the King of Kings, you can rest because now he'll take care of everything. You know, I'm thinking of the story of Mephibosheth. When David took the and became king after Saul's death, Mephibosheth was scared. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. All of the rest of Saul's Descendants were being killed. He didn't know what would happen to him. He was called into David's palace 
and he was probably scared what's going to happen to me. But when he when he came into David's palace, he had rest because David welcomed him. David gave him access. David said, you sit at my table and you can eat with me. He didn't have any fears after that. He was he was now at rest. So access and rest, you know, are closely related to each other. When you have rest, you have rest because you have that access. And you can you can feel free to do things that you couldn't do before because now you have access even if you if you happen to do something that violated the law in some way, you have access to the king who say, Okay, this is my son. We'll uh, I mean we can forgive him. Because of that relationship from that access. So, the people that because of unbelief, they could not rest. They could not enter into that rest. And then in chapter 4 of Hebrews, in verse 11, it says, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Seems like a contradiction there that we have to do labor to enter into rest. To us, rest feels like no labor. But here it says you have to labor to enter into that rest. It's just, you have to pay a price in some way. You have to put aside some of your own desires, some of your own feelings and emotions sometimes to enter into that rest. It's a labor that's involved. In the case of in the case of Abraham that we read before, Abraham entertained the people, the three men that came, who he he saw as the angels of the Lord. It was the Lord himself who came to Abraham. He labored to build up that relationship. In our case, we don't have to do that kind of labor as Abraham did. The labor part, the hard part was already done by Jesus Christ. He died. He took the penalty. He made the atonement. He bridged the gap and that relationship was established. He gave us a way to the rest. But we have to still take that step of entering into that rest. And the reason the Israelites could not enter into the rest was because of unbelief. They had access, although they did not have the access like we have today. They had access through the high priest, but they could still directly pray to the Lord. They could still, there were people praying to God. But 
It was the unbelief that kept them away from that access. It kept them away from that rest. The reason I was thinking about these things is because when we went to India recently, we we heard of you know people that we've known before. We've met them in the past. Some of them have blacksmithed. Some of them, like couples, have divorced. And I mean, they seem to me like, or seem to us that they were. You know, strong Christians, they were on fire for the Lord. They were doing a lot of evangelism. But something happened in the six years that we haven't been to India. Something happened during that time and they fell away, they got divorced. So, you know, what is the reason why some can be faithful in some backslide and some even though all of us have access. We have access to that throne of grace. That grace is always available to us. But it's, it's because of unbelief or it's because of letting other things come into their way of access. Or thinking that there might be a different way that I can access. Or I have a different way I can follow. When Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying that there's only one way. That access can be through only one way. And that access is Jesus Christ. He is the way. And we have him because he gave his all for us. We have him, but We have to be able to, that access is not just to be taken for granted. It has to be used. When you have that access, you have to use it. In in Hebrews chapter 4, where we were just reading, right after that, we were talking about labor to enter into the rest. It goes on to talk about the word of God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a any two-edged sword. So it goes directly into talking about the Word of God. And the Word of God can cut through, it says, through the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when we are faced with unbelief or when we are faced with doubts or we are faced with situations, that we are thinking, oh, there might be a different way. It's the word of God that would be that dividing, that discerner, that the thoughts of our hearts are not going in the right direction. That we are heading towards unbelief and we should labor to enter into that rest. And then right after it talks about that, it goes on to talk about in verse 14 and it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. But was in all points tempted as like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. So it goes directly into Jesus Christ being the high priest. So it makes a connection between the old covenant where the high priest could only go in once a year. Now Jesus is our high priest. But he's not limited to just once a year. He has full access to the Father all the time. And through him we have full access. And so when we have you know, doubts, when we have hardships, when we have, you know, the enemy trying to confuse us or trying to get us on the wrong track. It says you have an high priest, you have access to the high priest, and this is not any high priest, it's one who who knows exactly how you feel. And he knows exactly what you need. But it says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. So, because we have access, now we need to take that next step of going to that throne of grace. If we don't, if we don't take that step of going to the throne of grace, access is useless. It's like you have a key there's a whole treasure chest, but you never use that key. And you, you have expenses come up, you forget about the treasure chest and you, you take a loan. You have a key, you could open that treasure chest and, and use that for whatever expenses you have. So access is like that, you have access but if you don't use it, it's of no benefit to you. And a lot of Christians live their lives. They have access, but they go about their lives as if they were people in the rest of the world. They struggle through things. You know, we've encountered Christians who are, you know, a couple in a in an extended family that they claim to be Christians or they, they say they are Christians but they are always fighting with each other. Not just, not just privately but in public sometimes. So it's a, we have access and the Lord can solve whatever problems we have but we have to go to Him. You know, there are, there are some examples during the time of Jesus of people that did not have access, but they gained access. There were at least two stories. There's a story of, at least, I think there's another one too. There's a, the story of the centurion. At that time, he didn't have access. He was not a Jew. Jews had that special relationship with God. He was not a Jew. But he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you have great faith. I haven't seen faith like this. And it was through his faith that he gained access. I mean, he, he was seeking access to Jesus. And the, he labored. I mean, there was no direct access. 
but he came up with some way that he could influence Jesus. Now, he didn't have to do that, but he showed his faith. He showed that he was willing to take that step. The the very fact that he approached Jesus was the first step of faith that he took. There was another case, the Syrophoenician woman. She came to Jesus, my daughter has a demon. And Jesus said to her, it's not good to take the food of the children and give it to the dogs. So Jesus was trying to say, the children have access, the children of Israel have access, those are who I come for. You're out of the fold. You don't have access to me. But the woman could have, she could have different thoughts to her mind. She could have started a fight with Jesus. Are you calling me a dog? She could have taken offense at being called a dog. She could have reacted in a different way. But she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus said to her, you have great faith. Just for that, for those things that you said, you have access. You know, there's another case of the the thief on the cross. He didn't have access. But all he said to Jesus, remember me when you are in paradise. Or he said something similar. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Another example is Zacchaeus. Now he was a Jew. But he was like an outcast Jew, a tax collector. So he was, he was not considered a true Jew because he was working with the Romans to put the taxes on the, on the Jewish people. But God, Jesus saw, he took, made an effort to go up into that tree. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. So these are just examples of people that didn't have access. But they gained access because they saw something in Jesus. And they said, we're going to follow this way. We already have access. So there's no excuse for us. Because we have access, we just have to use that access. And we have to remind each other of the access that we have. So when we come together, that's why it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves so that we can encourage one another, remind each other when we share testimony, we are sharing what was the benefits of that access to us. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25 starting in verse 1. 
Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran and Jokshan, Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. So after Sarah died, Abraham took another wife, and he had children from that wife. And we'll pick it up again in verse 5. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. So apart from Ishmael and Isaac, Abraham had many more sons. But it says in verse 6, he gave those sons, he gave them gifts and sent them away from Isaac. So all of these sons were children of Abraham. Remember in, in John chapter 8, the Jews are talking to Jesus and say, we are children of Abraham. So they thought of themselves as special because they were the children of Abraham. But here we have an example of children of Abraham. And it says, Abraham gave them gifts and sent them away. Abraham saw something in these children. And he wanted to protect Isaac from the influence of these children. So he sent them away from Isaac. He gave them gifts. He gave them, he provided for them. But sent them away. And these were sons of Abraham, and it seems like they lost access to Abraham. They got the blessings, they got the gifts, they got financial rewards, whatever. But they no longer had access to Abraham anymore. It says in verse 5, he gave all that he had to Isaac. He gave everything to Isaac. So Isaac had everything... Not only had Isaac every access to Abraham, but access to everything else that was Abraham's. But his sons, those other sons, did not have any access. It was because of their own heart condition, most likely because of their attitudes. Because probably they didn't want to obey Abraham. And if you read further down in verse 9, when Abraham died, it says his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zophar the Hittite, which is before Mamre. You'll see that when Abraham died, none of those other sons came to bury him. It was only Ishmael and Isaac that buried Abraham. So those other sons, even though they were sons of Abraham, they didn't have any relationship with Abraham anymore. They didn't even come for his his funeral. I don't know how far away they were they were sent away. Seems to me like it wouldn't be that far. But whatever it is, they didn't have that relationship with Abraham anymore. We are children of of Abraham, just like Isaac, children of promise, just like Isaac was, God 
Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, and in Romans 8 it says, it basically implies that he gave all that he had to us through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, he's given us, God has given us all that he had. So we have complete access not only to Jesus Christ, to his Holy Spirit, and to all that he has, all his blessings. But if you're only interested in the blessings, then we're going to be like those sons that Abraham sent away because he gave them gifts. Any of those sons could have protested and say, I don't want your gifts, I just want to be in your house. But it seems like none of them, they just took the gifts and went. They probably had a good time, but they thought with my own freedom I can do things kind of like the prodigal son. But they didn't have a relationship with Abraham. But we, we're not, we have access not just for the blessings, not just for the times that we need things, but we have that constant relationship. And if you keep that constant relationship, if we keep using that access that we have, we don't have to wait for big events or big, you know, crisis situations to go to the throne of grace. The throne of grace is available for everyday needs, the little things that come along. You know, day-to-day happenings, we have access to the throne of grace. And we can use that access. And as we, we use that access, it strengthens our faith. It's through faith that we had access. And we have a relationship that we, it takes effort on our part to maintain that relationship. It's not a great effort. It's not a physical effort. We don't have to climb mountains. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to kill a bunch of Philistines like David had to do or whatever. But we have access, we have free access, but it takes effort on our part. It takes us taking time away for things for ourselves, our own pleasures, to to go into his presence, to approach boldly to the throne of grace. And he says you have grace and mercy in your time of need. So that mercy seat is not just a mercy seat, it's a seat full of grace that we can obtain grace. We have access to that grace all the time. And we can remind each other by sharing and testimonies or by just living our everyday lives in front of each other that we we can remind of each other the access that we have. And when we see someone in trouble, we lead them to that throne of grace that we all have access to. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the access that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have the privilege of being your sons, that we have become sheep of your pasture, and you are a shepherd to us, Lord. You are always with us and your presence is with us Lord and we just want to thank you help us to be reminded of that access to be reminded 
that you are always with us and that we can always run to you in our times of need. We just want to give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.